So we've been uh, reading and thinking over the past few weeks, we've been in our series, Song in My Soul, uh, reading the Psalms uh, in different uh, seasons of our lives, uh, in the ups and downs of life, and we've been looking at different Psalms uh, for different seasons, and uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 139. We're thinking about loneliness, loneliness uh, we're thinking about tonight, and we're going to read and see what God would have to say to us on this subject from Psalm 139. So if you'd like to uh, pick up a church Bible there, it's on page 628 uh, of the church Bible. Um, if you would like to follow along, the words will be on the screen as well. Um, but, but maybe for later, because we'll be kind of walking through this psalm as well as God speaks to us from it. So you might want to, uh, might be helpful to have your Bible open. Uh, psalm 139, page 628 of the church Bible. And we're going to read the first 16 verses uh, of this psalm. The psalmist is King David, and, and King David writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. He writes this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Let us unite our hearts in prayer for a moment. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence with us right here and right now, speaking to us from your living word and moving amongst us by your Holy Spirit. So we ask, Father, that you would give us open hearts and open eyes to see you, open ears to hear you, open hearts to allow you to do your work and to enable us to respond to you here tonight. So, Father, we pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if we can have my first slide up there, please. And uh, how are we doing? Picture of a young lady. Yes, there you go. Mother Teresa. Now, some of you will remember Mother Teresa, okay? So I was doing a jam devotions for our young people this week, and I talked about Mother Teresa, and they went, Mother who? And I thought, well, then you need to know a wee bit about Mother Teresa. 1979, uh, Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize 40 years ago this year. Uh, Mother Teresa was uh, the founder of the Missionaries of Charity. But, you know, I once heard Mother Teresa talk. She, She spent her whole life working amongst the poorest of the poor, in the worst of the worst slums in India. But I once heard Mother Teresa in an interview, and she said, you know, 
poverty is not, that the biggest problem in the world today is not poverty, it is loneliness. And, and then uh, my friend James, uh, James Orr, is, um, he's the director of Friends of the Earth in Northern Ireland. And uh, James would be very chuffed if he knew that I was mentioning his name in the same breath as Mother Teresa. But James is the director of Friends of the Earth in Northern Ireland. Before that, he managed the Wildfowl and Wetlands Centre uh, down at Castle Espy. And I was chatting with James one time, and James said to me, you know, Gary, the biggest problem facing the world today is not an environmental issue. It's loneliness. And, and, and loneliness is a big problem in our world. Uh, I think I suspect that many of us will experience it at some point in our lives. And loneliness can be caused by many different things. You see, being physically alone can certainly lead to a feeling of loneliness. The book of Genesis says that in the beginning when God created everything, at the end of each day he looked and he said, it is good. It is good. And at the end of the six days he looked and he said, it is very good. And the first thing that we see in the Bible that is not good is in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. And being alone, I guess, can certainly lead to, to a feeling of loneliness. But even within relationships, we can at times feel lonely and we can, yes, feel all alone in a crowd. So, so regardless of our particular situation or circumstance, there are times we can suffer from feelings of loneliness. And it's just not nice. It's just not nice at all. So what is the antidote to loneliness? I want to suggest a couple of things tonight from God's Word. I want to suggest that having fellowship with other Christians is one way of addressing feelings of loneliness. You see, one of the reasons that God invented the church was so that the man or the woman would not have to be alone. We, we, we come together for fellowship as part of the church family. And there's many opportunities for you to do that uh, at Orangefield. Uh, with the little, you can look at the little flyer that I've just shown you and you've probably got by now, hopefully, uh, and see is there something in there that could be your point of fellowship with other Christians. Uh, and then there's, there's, there's that idea of, of, of service as well. Serving other people. You see, if we're busy serving other people and enjoying the fellowship and the blessing that comes there, that we're not going to have, have time, in a sense, to, to feel lonely. But, and again, please have a look at the flyer and, and see, is there a point of service? Because all these different organizations, they all need people to help, but they're also an opportunity for service. And have a look at the flyer and speak to the leaders of the organizations, or myself or Gareth, if you would like to serve in one of those ways. So having fellowship with other Christians, serving other people uh, in some capacity are very practical and real ways of avoiding or addressing loneliness. But I want to suggest tonight that the ultimate antidote to loneliness is an intimate relationship with God. An intimate relationship with God. The antidote to loneliness, I want to suggest tonight that the antidote to loneliness is an intimate relationship with God. That is to be, to respond to his longing for intimacy with us and to meet his love with ours. To respond to his longing for intimacy with us and to meet his love with ours. That's the, the antidote to loneliness. This Psalm 139 is a psalm that speaks of, of intimacy with God. It's a good medicine, a good psalm to have some, you know, keep it handy to prevent us from feeling lonely or if, if, if feelings of loneliness come on us, let's turn to Psalm 139. It's a good remedy for loneliness. To be reminded of God's presence, his presence with us, his love for us and the intimacy that he longs to have with us. 
There's a number of things that we see in this psalm that help us in this direction. The first one is this, that God knows us. God knows us. Verses 1 to 4, God knows us intimately. And I don't know how you feel about the idea of God searching you and knowing you completely. How does that make you feel? Maybe it makes you feel a wee bit nervous, actually. Maybe a wee bit exposed. But you see, the Bible tells us that God knows us completely. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Verse 3, you are familiar with all my ways. God has searched as he comes into our lives and he, he shines his searchlight into every nook and cranny of our lives. The psalmist states that the Lord knows our thoughts. Verse 2, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows our words. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. And he knows our actions. Verses 2 and 3, you know when I sit and when I rise, you discern my going out and my lying down. God knows us completely and intimately. And of course, our first reaction to the, the knowledge that God knows us so completely might actually be to make us feel a little uncomfortable rather than comforted. Certainly, there are times whenever we are thinking or saying or doing things, something that we, that we shouldn't, and we remember that God knows us. And in those times, it will not perhaps maybe be so much a case of, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me, as, oh, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. But, you know, when God brings us to that point of, of realization, well, he does that too because he loves us and he leads us gently to repentance in the knowledge that he has searched us and knows us, and yet, and yet, he loves us. Because our sins, you see, they don't take God by surprise. And they don't stop him from loving us. He hasn't changed his mind. Because when God chose us, he knew exactly what he was getting. He, he wasn't under any illusions. No, he knew what he was getting. He searches us. He knows us still. He loves us. You are amazing God, as we sang earlier. Incomparable, unchangeable. You see the depths of my heart. And you love me the same. Amazing grace. That's what it is. An amazing God. And you see this knowing that the psalmist speaks of. It's not a kind of a cold knowing that a, mathma that a mathematician does with his two times tables. No, there are different kinds of knowing, aren't there? There's the knowing that two times two are four. And then there's the loving and intimate knowing that exists between a husband and a wife. Or a parent and a child. That's the sort of knowing that the Bible is talking about here. God knows us intimately, warts and all, and still he loves us. He, he, this is, his is the sort of knowledge and love that the bridegroom has for his bride. Or that the mother has for her child. And of course... That's exactly what we are. We are the bride of Christ. And God is our Father. He knows us as a bridegroom knows and loves his bride, and he loves us as a parent knows and loves her child. So we see from this psalm that God knows us intimately. Secondly, we see that God holds us. God holds us, verse 5 to 12. David writes in verse 5, You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. And verse 10, wherever I go, your right hand will hold me fast. This wonderful God of ours is behind us and he's in front of us. He hems us in. He surrounds us with his love. He's all around us and he's everywhere. Verse 7, the psalmist asked, where could I go? Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I go that you wouldn't be? And the answer covers all the bases covers all the bases and rules out 
all possibilities of ever being anywhere where God is not. The first two places we might interpret spiritually. Verse 8, if I go up to the, he- the heavens, you see, in the good places and good times when I'm feeling strong, the times when I'm soaring up on wings like eagles morally, spiritually, God, you are with me. On the other hand, if I go down to the depths, when I'm in the pits, in the bad places, even in times of sin, even when I wander from the straight and narrow, if I make my bed in the depths, God, you are still right there with me. And the second two places we might interpret geographically, verse 9, if I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. You see, as David writes this psalm, David is on the Temple Mount at Jerusalem. And he looks one way out to the east and he, and he says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, in other words, if I got up really, really early and went out to the desert, you would be there. You would be there with me. And then he looks the other way out to the west, out over the Mediterranean Sea, and he says, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, you would be there. You would be there with me. And, and, and folks, it doesn't matter either what time of night or day, because just in case we thought that God might lose us in the dark. No. For David writes, verse 12, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God's not going to lose us in the dark. No way. God sees us. God is watching over us, with us, night and day, day and night. It's all the same to him. And you know, as sinners in our fallen state, before we are born again by the Spirit of God, to learn that there's just no getting away from God, well, sometimes that annoys us, frustrates and angers us. But when we stop running and when we surrender to him and when we let him come into our lives and be with us by his spirit, when we become his child, his bride, well then, then to know that there's just no getting away from God, that thrills us and fills us with gladness and joy and peace. For then we start to understand that we are safe. We are saved and we are safe eternally with God. Verse 10, the psalmist says that wherever we go, God's right hand will hold us fast. You know, sometimes we talk about keeping people at a distance, keeping people at arm's length. But but that's not what our God's like. God is not a God who keeps us at arm's length. God is a God who holds us close. He holds us close. And there's something very special about holding or being held, isn't there? Whether it whether it's holding the hand of a, a hand or holding in an embrace. Holding someone close is very personal. To be held by someone who loves us is very personal. And that's exactly the picture that the psalmist gives us here. Holding speaks of love and affection, of up close and personal. This is what our God is like. This is what he's like. He, he loves us and he holds us close and he holds us fast, firmly and securely. Being held by someone, it, it gives us a real sense of security, doesn't it? Whether it's holding the hand of a partner or of a parent, we have that feeling of security. We see how a child runs to its parent uh, when it feels a little lost or anxious at times. We see how a, a little one will reach up for the hand of a parent who is also reaching down. Reaching down to them when it comes to perhaps crossing the road or on a, a dangerous place. A place the child's unfamiliar with. And that's what God does for us. 
He reaches down to us. He reaches down. He reaches down to us and he says, this is unfamiliar territory that you're on. You weren't made for here. You were made for heaven. Take my hand and let us cross this dangerous place together. Our Father takes us by the hand and he leads us through this strange land. Leads us to the safety on the other side. And if you're here tonight and you haven't already taken your heavenly Father's hand, then know that he is here tonight and he is reaching down to you. Let me invite you, let me encourage you to respond in faith and place your hand in his. Let him hold you fast. Let him accompany you. Let him lead you through this strange land that you were never made for and safely to that place that you were made for. The psalmist tells us that as we place our hand in his, his right hand holds us fast. And there's more. Let's take a look at that right hand. The Bible tells us that God's right hand is his strong hand. In the book of Isaiah, God says in chapter 47, he says this, My own hand led the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. And you see, when God led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and when he defeated the Egyptian army, Moses and Miriam sang a song, and it's recorded in Exodus 15, and they sang, Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. You see, if you've put your trust in the God of the Bible and your hand into the strong right hand of the God of the Bible, then tonight, go outside and have a look up into the night sky. And and see the night sky and see the stars that that right hand has set in place. And then know that that's the hand that is holding you firmly and securely. And it's no wonder that when, we under, that when he understood the, the power of God's right hand that King David would, would write, your right hand will hold me fast. Of course it will. Of course it will. So he hems us in before and behind, and with his mighty right hand he holds us, and then verse 5, you have laid your hand upon me. That's God's other hand. This is a hand of blessing laid upon us. You see, throughout the Bible and in many parts of the church today, a hand is laid upon to bless, to bless. The psalmist writes in verse 5, you've laid your hand upon me. That's a hand that's open to bless, to give. David writes in Psalm 145, he says, You're open, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. It is with this hand of blessing that God sustains us and grants us everything we need spiritually, materially, in every way from day to day. It is this open hand of blessing that he bestows upon us the fullness of life that he promises those who trust in him. So we have an image of God's two hands here. The right hand that is holding us fast, that's a closed hand. He's never opening that one because he's never letting go. And the other hand, that's an open hand of blessing. And he's never closing that one. Because his blessing and his love endures forever. So if you can imagine God surrounding you with his presence and love, holding you gently and firmly in his strong right hand, and then the open hand of blessing laid upon you, you have a picture of complete security and provision for wherever we are, whatever we're doing in the the days that lie ahead. 
That's our God. That's what he's like. And finally, we might, we might ask, well, how God knows us so well and why he holds us so fast? And the psalmist gives us the answer. In verses 13 to 16, he has written that God knows me and holds me fast for. In verse 13, he says, for, and with that little for, he introduces how and why. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows us and holds us fast, firstly, for God made us. Uh, And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? For who knows the thing most completely but its maker. Person who made it, if you have an item you want to find out something about, then you go to its maker. The maker knows it best. The person who made, who makes something, knows it intimately because they're the one who put it together. And that's how God knows us and holds us because he made us. God fashions each one of us just as he pleases. And, you know, some people don't really like that fact and they resist and they rebel against God and the way he made them. They don't like the way he did his job and they would rather he would have done it some other way. They want to be somebody other than who God made them to be. And they just spend a lot of time feeling a bit miserable about all that. And the only way to change that is to admit that actually God does, in fact, know best. God knows best. For the psalmist says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So folks, whatever you're sitting here tonight, whatever you might think about yourself tonight, God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And fearfully here, meaning not something to be afraid of, but something to be in awe of. Something to be in awe of. When the psalmist ponders on how God has made him, he's simply awestruck and filled with wonder. And so may we be as well. David says here in verse 13, you created me, you knit me together in my mother's womb. God wove us together inside our mother's womb. Our lives are like a tapestry with every muscle and tendon and nerve and vein and everything else all interwoven together. And God is the artist who created the tapestry. We're not an accident. We're not here by chance. We're we're not creatures that somehow evolved from some slime somewhere. No, we're here because God made us, personally and individually. And he started making us from the moment of our conception, long before our birth, carefully, wonderfully forming us into a human body, of more than 30 trillion cells. And look at how we're made. Think of the skin that lets water out, but not water in. Think of the bones carrying, capable of carrying 30 times more than bricks will support. Or of the liver neutralizing poisonous substances. Think of the blood distributing oxygen and carrying away waste from tissues and organs and regulating the body's temperature. Think of the heart pumping over 100,000 times every day. I had to double check these things, but we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Circulating blood around through 60,000 miles of arteries, veins, and capillaries. Or the brain, 86 86 billion nerve cells to record what it sees and hears and feels. Can you imagine 86 billion nerve cells? Fearfully and wonderfully made, no wonder David was filled with wonder. And so we can't go another second. He can't go another second without praising the Lord who made him. 
Verse 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you. And that's the same response as we will want to have when we understand and when we can consider how we've been made. Fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we see the source of our being, God, and the wonder of our being, the bodies that he has created for us. And then the psalmist refers to the plans for our being. God knows us and holds us, for God has made us. And verse 16, God has plans for us. Very briefly, our final point. You see, God didn't just make us and then, well, that was that, no reason, no purpose. No, God had a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And God didn't just make us and then think, well, I've made him or her, so now I better think of something to do with him now. No, God made a plan for our lives first. Get this, God had a plan for us first. And then he made us. Look at verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God didn't decide to make us and then have some afterthought make a plan for our lives. No, it's the other way around. God had plans for us. God saw us in his mind's eye. And then God made us. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is with us. He knows us. He holds us because God made us and has plans for us. And so just as I finish here, we have another wonderful Bible truth. The sovereignty of God and his sovereign control over our lives. Our lives were wonderfully planned by God. Now this doesn't relieve us of our responsibility to of how we act, but it it does reassure us that anything that is outside of our control is thankfully under God's control. And as we trust in him, the Bible assures us from start to finish that God's plans for his people are good. We might not always understand him, but his plans for us are good. And sometimes we might think we've messed up God's plans for us. But I once saw a conversation, a fridge magnet with a conversation between two people. And the first one was saying, I'm afraid that I might have messed up God's plans for my life. And the second, the reply was, no, don't worry. You're not that powerful. Isn't that reassuring? God always gives us a way back. He always gives us a way back. You know, he leads us in paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. Tonight, maybe you've wandered a little bit, but God's still sovereign. God still loves you. God still wants you back. Giving you that opportunity to come back again tonight. Because he has good plans for you. So tonight, we look at the subject of loneliness. We see that along with fellowship with other Christians and service in the church, the antidote to loneliness is intimate relationship with God. That's to respond to his longing for intimacy with us. And to meet his love with ours. And as for a song in our soul. A psalm that we can turn to. As a prevention or a cure for loneliness. To point us to the God who is the antidote. Psalm 139 is a good one for that. Let's keep it handy. Psalm 139. A psalm of intimacy. Here we see that God knows us. God holds us. God made us. God has plans for us. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm and for your word to us here this evening. As we continue, as you continue to speak to us and as 
You move amongst us now by your Spirit. Please help us to be open to you, to respond to your longing for intimacy with us and to meet your love with ours. And let's take a moment to respond to what God's been saying to us and to what he's saying to us in the stillness of our own hearts. Let us respond. Father, we thank you for this revelation to us tonight or this reminder to us tonight that you know us and you love us. We thank you that you hold us fast with your mighty right hand. We praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we bless you for the good plans that you have for us as we seek to live for you. Father, please help us to know that you are always with us. Through all the ups and downs of life, you are right there. We are never alone. Through all the highs and lows, you hold us fast and you never let go. We thank you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.